Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joining today, he's the CEO of Knocking Demon Limited and the host of Fight the Burnout podcast. It's Chris Chandler Yates. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm good, Alex. How are you? This is it's a, it's an honor to be here. I, I I really do um you know take that take that on. I know you've got a lot of guests that you that you have and that want to be on here. So I I do I'm, I'm privileged. Thanks. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? So I'm originally from uh, California, uh, Redding, California, a little town, well, it used to be a little town. It's about 200,000 people now, but uh, about four <laughs> and a half hours north of San Francisco um, up in uh, Redneck, California. They try and call themselves Jefferson State all the time, but anyways. Um, but yeah, so I grew up there. Uh, parents, I got a little brother. Uh I grew up when I was younger, um, didn't really do a whole lot of team sports, but my my dad was really into rock climbing and paragliding and, and that. So we did a lot of those adventure sports, I guess you call them. Uh, and so, yeah, so we did a lot of that, which was really good. And also we had a houseboat and things like that. So that's kind of where I, where I come from. Uh, and then I ended up, so just fast forward a little bit, when I was a teenager, my parents took my little brother and I on a 40-foot catamaran. Uh, started in the Caribbean, we sailed around the well, sailed halfway around the world, and ended up in New Zealand. Uh, and so that's where I live now. And my journey from there kind of just kept going. Met my now wife, joined the police force here, uh, burned out in the police force a couple times, left the police force, and now I run my own business helping uh, first responders and law enforcement, really anybody who wants to. But those are kind of the target uh, to just be the best version of themselves. You talked about those adventure sports. Is California a great place to do those adventure sports? Or did your family go and travel to different areas to uh, participate in those? So my dad always, from when he was young, he's from, uh, was born in Chicago, but then grew up in LA. I used to go to Joshua Tree rock climbing. Then my uncle and him, uh, back in the 80s, couldn't find good climbing harnesses. So they just decided to make their own. Uh, and so California has a lot of that good rock climbing in that. And then they kind of heard about this thing called paragliding, which from what I hear, from what my dad tells me back in the day, was pretty much guys taking skydiving shoots or, you know, paratrooper shoots and just running off of hills and slightly modifying them. Uh, and so that's where it kind of started. So my dad started, my dad and uncle started importing that. And so, yeah, so it, there is a lot to do there. Um, there is a lot of really cool stuff in California to do, uh, especially Northern California. There's a lot of stuff, but I mean, there's, yeah, anywhere in the U.S. there's there's fun things. But we used to travel as well. I mean, at 10 years old, I went to Ecuador with my dad on a paragliding wow. trip. And when we left the U.S., we drove cross country and went to um, Yosemite National Park and went rock climbing. Uh, and then we had a houseboat on Lake Shasta for as long as I can remember when I was a kid. Um, so yeah, there is lots to do, especially yeah, all over the U S I guess if you look for anything, you'll find it. <laughs> Doing any of those activities, did it teach you something about yourself, a skill that you didn't know you had in you, or did it give you confidence in a way? Yeah, I think it was a, a big thing. It was probably the confidence side of stuff, uh, and resilience, um, doing all those different things, you know, you're on your own, but you're still relying on somebody else. Um, paragliding, I was always tandem, so I was with my dad. So we had a, we created a big bond. We now paraglide together individually in our own gliders and that. Uh, but uh, as rock climbing, yes, definitely. And then also just being on the boat, just having that kind of peace and, and nature in that helps with the confidence. Just around the side of when you're doing that stuff. If you don't have that confidence, you'll fall a lot easier. <laughs> you know, there's times where there's times where you're holding on to a little tiny rock and you're going, 
or a little tiny like little crack or something. You're like, oh, you may be, but I just got it. Okay, go. <laughs> <laughs> and so it just kind of gives you that little that little push of confidence to be able to just go. I'm gonna give it a go, and hopefully I don't fall. <laughs> See, I love doing like the rock climbing in like theme parks and stuff where you got the harness and stuff and i know like you're probably talking about the rock climbing that are actually like boulders and that kind of so the rock climbing i'm talking about is is yeah so bouldering so you got some of that where you don't actually have a harness or anything but you're only more no more than about six to eight feet off the ground uh but then you have like what we used to do and my dad most of the time would do what you call leading so he'd lead the route um, all the way up. So you put in, you know, piece of protection. So if he did fall, he'd hopefully only go to that piece of protection, which is only about, you know, it'd be like three or four feet. Uh, you probably fall about six feet. So you double that because you're up above the piece that's in the wall. Um, but then as I got older in my early teens, he started training us to start doing that kind of stuff, um, ourselves as well. So on the easier, uh, climbs. And so you're, you're literally, you have things where you're like, it's about three or four feet down to that last piece that I put on the put into the crack or clipped into. Yeah, if I fall, I'm falling double of that, so it's still gonna hurt. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so yeah, so it is. It's it's a lot of it's a lot of you know. It, you think you know the stuff. If you take you know the the, the theme parks and you, you you climb in those, give yourself about four or five feet of slack, um, and don't have the person pulling on the rope. And that's kind of where where you're where you're at with that. So it is that confidence thing of it's like if I fall, this is I know this. You just don't you just can't think about it. And so that, you know that's kind of the other thing is you know think about what's important, and it kind of helped with that whole side of things. Things about what what's important, what actually matters. You know, don't think about the things that don't. And um, I know we'll talk about it, but that's kind of where I got lost in law enforcement was I started thinking about things that I have no control over. Um, and so, yeah, it's, um, yeah. Anyways. <laughs> Did your family ever say why they ended in New Zealand out of your journey on the catamaran? Why did they stay in New Zealand? So what actually happened was we were in Tonga. So we went to Tonga. We got to Tonga very, uh, very late in the season. So actually into cyclone season. Uh, and so we stayed there. I uh, actually had a cyclone come by not far off of, um, off of Tonga. And we were there filming the humpback whales because the humpback whales come in there. And so the tourists come and they go out on the hump, on the whale boats and they snorkel with the humpback whales and, and that. So we were there videoing those, selling the things for the people and that. And um, doing a lot of diving. We had a dive compressor on board. We had six sets of dive gear. My parents are avid divers. My mom used to go around the world traveling, wow. uh, doing dive trips and underwater photography. And, um, and so we were there and my mom actually got the bend scuba diving. Uh, and so she was on a, a wreck that was in the harbor there in Vavau and safer dive, shorter dive. No idea actually why she got the bends. Didn't come up quick like you normally do from to get the bends. And so she got area back to New Zealand actually because it's the only um, hyperbaric chamber uh, that you can access uh, in, the, in the South Pacific. Uh, and so they area from Tonga to New Zealand. She landed on the soil even in the state that she was in kind of thing, which is a bit off with it. Um, and she was like, I love the, she fell in love with New Zealand. Uh, we had no plans to sail to New Zealand because the crossing down here can be quite nasty because you get the Southern Ocean storms come up. Uh, and so we ended up here and they just fell in love with it. And initially uh, we were here and we we're like, oh, we can get residency pretty easy, easier here than actually Australia. Uh, and so my parents got permanent residency here. And the reason that they did is because my mom just felt like it was home. It just felt like another home. Uh, they never actually wanted to 
live here permanently, but my mom wanted a base. My dad gets very focused on things, and so started going, let's build an Airbnb, all this kind of different stuff. Uh, my parents aren't actually together anymore. They, um, they probably should have split up a few years earlier, but I, um, <laughs> but, um, they're still friends and they, they, you know, there's no, there's no bad blood there, but, um, yeah, so they ended up staying just because they, they fell in love with the place. It, um, it reminded of California, them of California back in the eighties, um, really enjoyed it, really calm, beautiful. And so that's where they stayed and I've managed to get residency and citizenship with them and then met my now wife and. We're all still here. My little brother, my parents, and I. Uh, my brother is now married as well. With he's about to have twins. So oh, at wow. the time of this recording, he's uh, they're only a couple months out from. I think July is when they're due to have twins. Poor him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no. My mom's actually at the time of this recording. Uh, my mom's actually here for the weekend, so we can go out sailing and stuff. So yeah, it's gonna be pre- it's pretty cool. At that so that's age, why we stayed. At that age, you're young. It's like this is a fun adventure. And did it ever worry? Like, am I leaving anything back in the United States? Or it's like that can, I can make something new in New Zealand. Yeah. So I think, so I got here just shy of 18. Uh, so I was just finishing up high school, doing homeschooling. When I left the States, I'm actually currently writing a book about this as well, about my experience of it. It's just taking longer than I want it to. Um, but anyways, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so, uh, you know, and so I'm actually doing a lot of thinking on that. And uh, when I was writing the chapter for like, when my parents told me in that, I had no idea. Like I was just a kid. We used to do adventurous stuff. We used to travel around. We travel around the U.S. a lot. Uh, and so for me, it was just another adventure. Uh, I'm a person that dives full into things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just did. So I got extremely good at sailing. I got into yacht racing. I got, and so I'm, I've got skippers tickets, all sorts of Yahoo things that I've never used. But um, when we got here, I just, again, just a new adventure. I was like, okay, cool. We'll see where we're going to go. Actually, when I first got, when we got here, about a year, about a couple years after we got here and I was going off to do university and that, uh, I did my skippers ticket and I, my plan was to go work on super yachts to keep traveling. Uh, I love traveling. And so I would never actually planned on settling in New Zealand. I thought, oh, I'll be back here because my parents are here, but never really planned on settling. And then I met my now wife and we're here and we constantly talk about moving back to the States. But um, pre the pandemic, we travel at least once or twice a year overseas. So I feel like I'm settled here, but I travel so much that <laughs> I still go around. So I guess as a young kid, it was just kind of just carry on, just keep doing what I'm doing, just have fun. <laughs> When you say skipper on a yacht, is that kind of like deck crew? That's captain. That's captain. the captain. Okay. Yeah, so the captain. So I've got my captain's license to be able to, uh, and I've never really done anything with it, but I got it just after we got to New Zealand and that. Uh, I, so I can captain up to a 23 meter, uh, which is what, about 70 foot, uh, 200 oh, wow. ton yacht um, anywhere in the world. Um, so yeah, so I can do I can do that. Uh, yeah, that's me. Like I said, I haven't used it. I joined the police instead. <laughs> like so. when we talked about all those towns, captain of a yacht boat, but I haven't done it yet. But I can yeah, say I, have, I, I have, have. I have a lot of hats that I've worn over the years, you know, and we'll get into that with my law enforcement stuff as well. But I've had a, I've worn a lot of hats over the years and done a lot of different cool stuff. And until I have these kind of conversations, I kind of forget about it. And for for quite a few years, I never really talked about my sailing background and what I did. You know, the whole sailing side of stuff. This is probably the deepest that I've gone into it. And, in a little while, actually, just because 
yeah, it was that was that time of the time of my life. Then it was policing, and now I talk a lot about my policing stuff just because that's what people get interested in. But the sailing side of stuff is um, a lot of really cool adventures and met a lot of really cool people. See, I love the. I see. I watch those reality shows where they have the below deck and things like yeah. that, and I'm like. I just, I don't know if I could work well, it's also that environment, but I would love to just be a, like a charter member and just enjoy yes. a yacht experience and just learn like how these people run the ships. Cause it's just amazing all mm-hmm. that information and imagine, I mean, I can drive a car and I can drive, I think a 28 foot van, but yeah. 70 foot oh i got that in the bag it's 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 fun it's funny because our cat was a 40 foot cat um 23 feet wide uh and when i first met my now wife uh and where i was living on the boat at the time in the city here in auckland and uh we i take it out and i just because at the time i you know i could single hand it and i was getting into doing single-handed stuff and that um wanting to do single-handed races around the world and that but I, I was, I, we took the boat out and she had never really done boating stuff. I mean, her family didn't, doesn't, didn't do boats. They did like soccer and things like that. So I, I remember I, I let, you know, we, we came off the dock, we left, we, we went out, we anchored, I did some work on the boat, we chilled out and I brought it back in and I anchored all, you know, I put it back on the dock and everything all on my own. Had to do some stuff with the ropes just to make her feel involved. <laughs> and I remember her going, you can drive this boat better than I can drive my car. I was like... <laughs> It's habit. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's just habit. And, but it is. It's, it's practice. It's just like anything in life. Um, you know, and that really set me up for a lot of different stuff. Is If you want to do anything in, in life, do it well and just yeah. practice at it and you'll get good at it. So, When you were going to university, was there a mindset of what you wanted to do before you changed to go to the police force? I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Um, no, so I, so when I, if I, if I could rewind, like, you know how people always ask you if you could change one thing, I wouldn't yeah. change anything. But if I think about, you know, the different stuff, if it would, the biggest thing that probably would have shifted me, but then I'd be a completely different place, different person, yep. relationship wouldn't be, wouldn't be here, uh, would be, I would have taken a bit of a gap time. So I finished high school, like homeschooling, then went to university or college here, where they call it university. Uh, and I went and I started mid-year uh, and my parents, I helped them take the boat up to Fiji. They went up there and I flew back and started my that, that, ha- that half year, that first half year, you know, starting halfway through the year. And I was at the plan at the time wanted to do naval architecture. So design yachts. Uh, and if I had to do, if I did things over again, if I could rewind and tell myself, you know, something, it would be to take that gap time and go up to Fiji and enjoy not having to study and just enjoy being on the boat because I think it would have shifted things because I did half that semester and went, I don't like this. I'm going to go into chiropractic, which both my parents are chiropractors. So the next semester, the start of the year, went into chiropractic, failed everything miserably and literally just drank the whole time Um, (laughs) because I was like, no, I don't want to do this. And then at that stage, I was like, you know what, maybe I'll go into um, boat building. So I did a semester of boat building. And during that, I was like, nah, I'm going to go do my yacht. I'm going to go get my yacht masters. I'm going to go back overseas and go work on, actually go work on boats instead of just living on one. Uh, And then at about that time, I met my wife just as I was finishing my skipper's ticket towards the end of that year. Uh, And then, yeah, just, and then that's when kind of, I didn't really know what I wanted to do because I was like, I knew that I loved her already within, we moved in together six weeks after we met. Wow. So like it was, it was quick and I was like, okay, well. 
I'm making the decision not to go work on super yachts and, and that, and I'm going to stay, but I don't know what I'm going to do or what is going to happen. And so that's when the seeds for the police kind of got planted. And then I saw some stuff happen when we went back to the States at a time, um, for, for a trip, um, after a job on a boat fell through, um, for both of us. Uh, and so then I saw a train crash happen over there and it was like, cops are making the biggest difference and cops are creating less pain, which is now what I help people do that identity. Uh, my identity and my purpose in life is to help myself and others create less, you know, to create less pain for ourselves, for myself and others, um, so that we create the best version of ourselves. And so I, when I rewind, I see the, I saw those cops and I went, they're making the biggest impact. I didn't, I didn't, couldn't articulate it, but I now know they're creating the least amount of pain for those people that are there. I'm doing that. Um, because the seed was already planted and so I saw it and next day when I got my eyes lasered, um, to, you know, because I had to, because I, my eyesight was too bad and started running and what was it? Two and a half years later, I was in the police. Wow. So, <laughs> um, and so, and then seven years later I was out of the police. Uh, but yeah, so that's, uh, that's kind of the journey of it. But yeah, it was, um, it was, a. Uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do to be perfectly honest. Um, I had no clue. I had grown up sailing on a boat, being able to do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted and make my life however I wanted it. <laughs> do you feel that you needed to go and try those different things? So you went from arch naval architecture to yeah. chiropractic to all those different things because you needed to find out, is this really what I want to do? Because a lot of people nowadays, they're so focused on the one major and it's sink or swim. They either go for it. And if they fail, they'll keep going and they don't change. They don't try to find something else. I, th I think it was very important for me back then. Uh, what I've realized now and it's what I do a lot of work with people is around the identity and the purpose side of things is once you know that identity and that purpose and all the levels that lead into it, uh, you can actually find that a lot clearer. So like if I think about all the things that I did, the like naval architecture slash mechanical engineering, which was the stuff that I was kind of doing at that time to then lead into naval architecture, it doesn't lead up with my purpose of creating less pain, like mm -hmm. at a high level. Yeah, you can find things and muddle, you know, and figure something out that would apply yeah. to it, but not at a high level. Um, you know, part of my why, my purpose and all the levels to it is have free flex, flexibility, freedom, be able to, you know, travel, be able to create joy and experiences for people. Yes, it does, but not at a high level. Chiropractic, probably more closer. So that's probably that step. Boat building, not, not really. <laughs> uh, law enforcement actually did tick the most boxes for that, if I actually look at it. Uh, and then now what I'm doing now, it just takes it to the, you know, the even bigger, the even bigger level. So I do believe that I did, but I do believe there's an easier way to not have to, because I see so many people, it's the same thing. You know, yep. I remember back, back then my dad was very much on the table of, you have to have a bachelor's to succeed in life. Now I have no university degree. All I was, was a cop for seven years and I run a six figure business. Yeah. So <laughs> it, 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 you don't, you don't need it, but it does, it can come in handy and for certain things you do, but it is that, um, we have to, you know, you, it, once you know yourself and you know, actually who you are, you can find those things so much easier and not have to muddle and flop through things and, you know, try this and try that. Now you learn a lot of experiences doing that. So it depends on what you want, but there is easier ways than having to spend all that money trying to figure it out on your own. Uh, yeah, I kind of regret that decision spending all that. But I feel that 
I planted seeds in my college career. I went for college for sports management. I'm not in sports right now because I'm taking the long route because they want you to start at the bottom. But I hosted charity events. And so I'm thinking that hosting part kind of planted the seed for the show because I enjoy hosting. It's like, you would never have thought I would be doing this all the way back then. It's just kind of like, so I look back and certain things I did, I'm like, okay, I see where it now relates to what I do now. And, and this crazy. is and this is the this is the biggest thing that I, most people struggle with uh, is everybody thinks that everything happens to them. You know, it's like, oh, you know, I went to university and it didn't work out. And, you know, it didn't work out because not because of something that they did, but because everything else is what they look at. Not a not they don't take any ownership. Uh, and then next thing. And so they're always in like, poor me, poor me kind of, and yep. I'm going quite deep, like quite, you know, quite hardcore, you know, that way, but they go, poor me, poor me. Instead of going, well, wait a second. One, what was my part? And two, it's happened for me. And what, what, what's hap- What's out, what's the outcome that's come from this? I'm a very outcome driven person. So what's the outcome? You know, I'll do courses and I'll be like, shit, I just spent like four grand on that. <laughs> what did I get out of it? And I go, okay, well, actually I got this, this, and this. Oh crap. Okay. All I needed was one thing out of it. And yep. so, you know, you take, you take, for example, you know, there's, the, there's that whole thing, you know, you used to run charity events and host charity events and that. And it's like, well, now you're doing this and I'm sure it's actually helped you in so many other ways as well. So yep. it does, it does every experience happens for us so that we can then grow and become a better and um, more advanced version of ourselves. Uh, it's just a matter of, you know, whether you want to, work through that journey kind of all over the place or whether you want to kind of work towards that faster. And that's where, you know, different, different, there's different ways of doing that, you know, going to university, that's all you're trying to do. Yeah. I mean, you, I'm, I'm sure, I mean, doctors, I guess you could maybe figure out a way to be a doctor, but, um, but you know, <laughs> you take, you take, you know, like a business degree or something like that. You know, a lot of the times, you know, you, you can either muddle your way through it and try and figure it out you can learn from somebody else that's done it already before, yep. or you can go to university or college and, and get the curriculum for it and then go out and try and figure it out on your own. <laughs> yep. <laughs> when you were training for the police, what was the hardest thing about that? The, the mental side, um, which I didn't realize back then. Um, training for the police for me was the running. Uh, so it was actually the, the, the fitness. I was an extremely good swimmer and biker, but I'd never been a runner because when I was a kid, uh, my, my right knee played up. Uh, but, uh, now I run three times a week and half hour, 40 minutes and can, you know, whatever. But back then it was that, but it was more getting out of my own head during it. Um, and this is why part of knocking demon limit is helping people join the police force. Uh, and uh, most of it's surrounded around the fitness, but actually when you come to figure it out, it's actually around the mindset to do with the fitness yep. to get the most out of yourself, you know, to perform the highest is all mental. There is nothing else. You know, you can be given the perfect plan to create your business, to build your fitness, to, you know, leave the police to, you know, be the, be the best, whatever it is you want to be. But if you don't have the mindset to, to actually, um, execute, it, no, that ha- it doesn't happen. So it took me a good year to get my fit to get my run down. Yet I could, I'm was the fastest swimmer, could swim for miles, could bike for miles, couldn't run a mile and a half in ten minutes to save my life. Um, <laughs> but once I got through some of that mindset stuff, all of a sudden it started to click, and I got to a stage where um, 
where I was doing a mile and a half, uh, 2.4 kilometers or a mile and a half and 10 minutes with a 15 kilo vest on. Wow. So, and then I'd go do another workout. And so uh, that's the stage that I got to before I joined the police. Um, once I got, and I figured out the mindset tools to be able to actually harness the most productivity and the most performance out of myself. So it's what I do now with people. <laughs> Talk about those first few years in the police. What's going on mentally for you? What was the challenges? What did you see and surprise yourself doing things like that? So at the time, like, uh, it, it's funny, you look back now in life, and I apply all the tools that I have. And I look back, and I go, Oh, yeah, there's that there's that there's that. So if I do my best to remove those and go back to myself back then. Um, and the reason I say that is because I, it can now that I'm where I'm at, it can make it sound very easy. But it was a very, to be honest, if I look back, it was a very difficult time. Because I joined so I joined the police. Um, my mom said to me, I'm worried that you're going to lose yourself. You're going to become hard and cynical. Like you see those cops out there. You can see, you see them. You, you know, you, you, somebody will know somebody that you, you know, somebody that you know will know somebody that's a cop that has had an interaction with somebody that they're like, they're just not human. There's no emotion there. What's happened. Mm -hmm. So she was worried about that. Uh, my first week at police college after two years of trying to get in, uh, I sat on the waiting list for a year and had to keep that fitness up. Um, so yeah. And so when people complain to me that it's not happening fast enough, I go and, <laughs> but so that's again, mental resilience. It, it builds that resilience out of stuff. But the first week I'm down at police college and I literally remember them telling us about all the things about, you know, you're gonna, you know, the people are, you're gonna have to watch your back. You know, you need to change your social media. You need to lock your social media down because people are going to try and find you and, you know, they can do stuff and, you know, you may be off duty, people might blah, blah. And I remember calling my wife up the first week and going, I think I've made the wrong decision. Oh, I was like, I don't know if I, if this is right for me, because, because of all the negativity that happened in that first week. And I don't know if it's like that now, but, or if it, or if it was just the way that I interpreted it. Uh, but my wife goes to me and she's like, you've put in all this hard work, at least do college. And if you still feel the same way, then cool, we'll, we'll move on. Um, and so I did, I did police college, absolutely loved it. Ended up like towards the end, got through that first week and was like, oh yeah, cool. It's just, and then started to get into the fun stuff and the driving and the guns and the, and the training. And, and then my first, uh, first deployment was, uh, so halfway through you go to a, um, you go on what's called station duty. Uh, and so you're not sworn as a cop yet, but you go out to the police station where you're most likely going to be, um, stationed at. Uh, once you come out. And so I actually ended up working with the guys that I ended up getting put onto. But my first, it was the first day, second day, went to a guy who had been dead for three weeks. Oh, not even a sworn cop yet. Wow. You could smell it from the road. I can't smell death and decay. And I put it down to that job probably. Oh, like the, the you know the tra you know how you like the, the trash bin when it starts to really smell in that yeah. I can't smell it anymore. My wife has to tell me to take the trash out because I can't smell it. My brain has shut it off. Um, and so 
that was actually not too bad for me. Like I got, they, they gave me, they gave me crap because I took the camera at the time we had digital cameras. We didn't have smartphones even, you know, and this is 2011, but we had this section, like we had the, 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 the section, um, the station, like digital camera. And so I'm literally, they're like, Hey Chris, you can take photos. And I was like, okay, well, how do you want photos? They're like, Oh, just get photos of them, of the, of the, of the person in, in situ, like where they are and that. So that we have evidence in case something, you know, comes about and that it isn't what it looks like. So I'm literally leaning over the person taking photos of them. Just completely like, this is what I need to do. Let's get it done. Wow. <laughs> and as a and as a civilian, you're like, how are you doing this? You know, yeah. this <laughs> you see it on TV shows doing yeah. like they're doing it, but it's like that that's a job for them. It's like yeah. actually doing it, it's a yeah. whole different story. And- and if you if you actually if you actually and I'm gonna go a little descriptive here I'll try, you know hope just to give a heads up for viewers and listeners um, I mean there's maggots everywhere you can't even see his eyes it literally oh, is a yeah. it's we found his passport and you're like no, I have no clue none whatsoever um and so so yeah you so you're doing that and then afterwards I had rice for dinner <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> My, my, my partner had, um, what are those things that it's kind of, it's like pasta, but they're like little longer pieces of rice. I can't remember what they're called, but he had the, he had that for dinner. And we, I remember us going, I was like, I've got rice for dinner. And he's got he's like, I've got this for dinner. And we're like, should we go get something different? And we're like, oh, we got so much paperwork to do for this. Screw it. And just ate. Oh man. <laughs> and so you start to compartmentalize that stuff. And what it does actually is it compartmentalizes you over time. You know, so I came out of police college about what was that about eight weeks later after that kind of after that week. Um, and then uh, I actually went to a different station for a short time uh, and was in the watch house. So in the cells where they book people uh, and it was like I was complaining because I was like, I want to get out on the street. And my sergeant goes to me, he goes, well, I don't want you to have to come back over here for court. So I'm trying to limit the amount of paperwork and stuff you get. I was like, OK, cool. Fair enough. And then the last two weeks that I was there, I went out, and the first job I went to was a guy jumped from a train. Oh, man. So you can see the things that you see as a cop. You start to deal with that, but you start to compartmentalize that. And so those first couple of years, and then I went back to the North Shore, and there was some stuff where I didn't feel like I fit in, and I started to judge myself, and I started to kind of disconnect from myself even then, but then did start to feel, you know, fit in. Uh, and then about a year into the job, I was at a domestic, uh, we went to another house to go arrest the guy for, um, causing a bunch of mayhem in his mom's house and them fighting and stuff and, you know, damaging her car and, and property. So we went over there to arrest, uh, to, because we thought he might be at his brother's house, went there. He was there. Uh, I, we went in, we went to go arrest him and he tried to run away. And my partner, who was a female at the time, uh, she uh, went to go stop him, and he just haymakered her right in the side of the face, dented her cheekbone, split her ch- split her cheek open. He took off out the door. I was training hardcore. I was even more fit than I was with that twelve kilo vest. Um, he ran off. I ended up catching him, got him, cuffed him in that, uh, and she was fine, but she ended up with some big PTSD from it. Was already on the fence about leaving the place last straw on the camel's back. So she left. Now, if you take what I know now about my identity and my purpose and who I actually am, that completely, I, I, in my mind at the time, because I didn't know how to process it, I put her in pain because mm-hmm. I didn't arrest the guy fast enough. So it really, really beat me up quite hard. Um, and so we did a bunch of overtime that night. 
she ended up okay. I literally, I literally separated myself emotionally. I started separating myself emotionally at that time from feeling because I, like if I, and I'm thinking about it right now, actually, and it's bringing up more stuff. I love having these conversations because it just brings up even more things. And, you know, so I can, so you can process things. And if I look at it that night, I didn't call her. I didn't ask, I didn't ask how she was. Somebody told me she went to the hospital and that she was fine. Um, I saw her a little bit later that night. She came back to the station and I was like, hey, are you okay in that? But didn't ever connect with her or take the time. I just got focused into let's do the paperwork. And if I actually think about that, and I already knew that, but that was when I started to disconnect. That was only a year into the job. I did seven years. Did your wife notice these kind of how you disconnected from things? not hugely in the beginning, but like I came home from that job. I, so we did a whole bunch of overtime, came home from that job. I was riding my book, pushed my, my bicycle to work all the time. It was about five kilometers, about what, about two and a half miles to work. And I was like, I was supposed to finish it like two, three in the morning. And I didn't get home till my wife was awake in the morning. And so I actually, I'm riding down the hill and she goes, and she, I can feel my phone in my pocket vibrating. And I get home and I sit down on the back of the step and I just can't even talk, just burst into tears. And so it was that flooding out. But then me being the, I got to be staunch yet. I was raised emotional. I got to be staunch. I've got this image that I need to be, uh, just started to shut it away again. Uh, and it wasn't until a couple of years later that, um, uh, my wife started asking questions like, what's going on? You're not talking, you're not going, you know, you're not you. And so, yeah, she did, she did, she did identify it, but I wouldn't listen is the biggest thing. I wouldn't listen because I was like, no, I'm fine. Uh, and again, I ended up becoming that person my mom was worried about. (laughs) Uh, and so that was kind of the hard time. And then the guy ended up getting sentenced with nothing. And as I said, you know, in the very beginning of us recording that whole, you know, focusing on things that you have no control over, uh, I started to focus on, you know, that guy ended up getting home detention at his uncle's house, could only be out and about, uh, and had to write in a logbook if he was working for his uncle. And so it might not sound like anything for, you know, people that aren't in law enforcement, but for us in law enforcement, we're like, well, that guy can literally do whatever the hell he wants because his uncle will just sign the logbook. Yep. <laughs> and so I literally, I got very angry. I got very pissed off and I started to hunt this guy. And then he ended oh. up breaching. He ended up breaching his bail. Um, so every time I'd want to go, the universe was looking after me. I think every time I'd want to go do a check on him, I'd get called to a different job. So I was back working on this on that on the front line in that area, and so I just kept getting pulled away from it. So I think the universe was looking out for me because I had something out for him. Um, not that I would have probably done anything, but it was just I was very very angry, um, and I was identifying it. Uh, and so, yeah, so he ended up breaching like his bail conditions, his, his conditions and that, and, um, the court conditions. And so our old, the old section guys that I used to work with that were the ones that I was on when she, when that partner got assaulted, uh, they ended up catching him. And I was like, I actually went over to him one time. I was like, I'm glad you guys caught him because it wouldn't have gone so well. So, um, thank you. (laughs) Um, and you know, I'm honest about this and I never went and did anything like that, but I found myself wanting to. And so when an opportunity came up to go to VIP protection, which is looking after, it's like the secret service unit here. 
Uh, I had already gotten qualified a few years earlier, um, thinking about just doing different stuff. And uh, opportunity came up for that. I had one of the sergeants call me and say I should apply for a, job, a role that was coming up. And so I did after talking to my sergeant at the time. And he's like, yeah, Chris, you, you, I can tell you need to get out of here for a little while. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do something stupid that I'm going to regret and I don't want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but during that time, I also started seeking counseling. Uh, and so I started talking to a counselor. And this is pr- about three years in to the job. Wow. Uh, and so I started seeking a counselor. I saw a counselor uh, and I make it sound easy, but it took me a long time. And it took me actually talking to other colleagues that turns out they've gone through stuff in that as well to actually go down to the welfare person who I didn't know where it was. Um, and, um, and actually talk to, talk to a counselor and get some counseling help, which they helped my wife and our relationship a little bit more than they helped my policing career. It didn't really, to be honest, help that much. It just fed into the wanting to run away at that time. Um, so that's the first half of my career and then it gets fun and then it goes really bad later on. So I'll, kind of stop there for a little bit and see if you have any questions about that <laughs> I, know I just talked for a good 20 minutes uh, about about it all but yeah when you're going through the first three years was it more important your relationship or was it your job more important my job uh my job but yet i still cared about my relationship um but I'll also clarify in there, neither one of those should have been first. Why is that? It should have been me. It should have been me. I was not putting myself first at all. Uh, and that's the number one thing that I've learned since leaving the police and going through my very, very dark stages uh, is I never put myself first. Mm-hmm. And if we're not putting ourselves first, how the hell do we turn up for anyone else? Yep. And so that's the biggest thing that I will say out of all of that. You know, you ask relationship or work. Well, really, neither one of those mattered. It should have been me. Um, And looking after me and doing things outside the job for me and filling my tank up. Because in the end, my tank ended up so empty that it was actually getting drained even more than what it had. Um, Because I would go to work and maybe I'd put work first and maybe I'd put my relationship first. But then I feel resentful of that because I wasn't ever filling myself up. So if I wasn't filling myself up, then I couldn't give. And I felt like everything was getting taken from me, not me giving. So, yeah, that would be my comments on that one. (laughs) Talk about the dark periods, the ending of your time in the police, because that's big. It's a big part of what you're doing now. So talk about that moment. So in the end, I was on diplomatic protection. Uh, I'm very good at um, segmenting myself. So like I can sit there and compartmentalize you, I guess you could call it more. Um, So when I was at work, like even the first time when I was seeing counseling and that and saw the welfare person, the first thing she asked was, um, are you good to be, you know, working in that? And I was like, at the time I didn't take it personally or anything. I was like, yeah, no, I'm fine. When I'm at work, man, I'm I'm focused. Let's just, Mm -hmm. let's just do work. Um, and so I'm very good at focusing on things. So that's what I would do. So in the end, um, the last couple of years, the last year in the police, I was doing diplomatic protection, was on the protection team for the prime minister for overseas diplomats and that when I was at work, sweet, it was, let's focus on work. I wasn't thinking about anything else. 
But as soon as I would take my suit off or I would put my gear on to go home, I'd fall into that darkness. And I would do, I recognize it now, but I would do stupid things on my motorcycle, which I ride to and from work, commute on, and all that. Uh, I would do stupid things on my motorcycles just to feel stuff. And so in the end, I was not feeling anything. I was blaming it on my relationship, blaming it on everybody else. It's all their problem. It's all their fault that I don't feel anything. Not even saying that I didn't feel anything. Just it was everybody else's fault that I wasn't happy. Uh, and then I ended up, my wife and I were, were struggling. My relationship was struggling and having a parent, having parents that loved each other, but saw a lot, I saw a lot of fighting. Um, nothing as bad as I saw in the police, but I'll just clarify that. <laughs> but, um, but so we, I would, I was having that in my, in my relationship and I was like, I'm, ha I'm unhappy. I'm wanting to leave the darkest time. Probably when I started to recognize it a little bit was, uh, new year's 2015 into 2016. Uh, I went back to the States, uh, and I was back there on holiday with my wife to see family and that. And then I stayed afterwards and went to Las Vegas with my dad and uncle and went to SHOT Show. Uh, and I remember telling myself, if somebody offers me any kind of job, I'm going. I don't care what happens with my relationship. Oh. I'm, I'm going. Like, I'm taking it and I'll figure out the rest later on. Uh, and then I also remember driving to my best friend's house uh, in Reading uh, in my uncle's pickup truck in his Tacoma. And I remember going, fuck, somebody's following me. This person's turned every turn I have. These lights are following me. It's at night. I was like, oh, it's a, okay. It's a early, looks like an early 2000s Tahoe. And I literally pulled over and made the car drive past me. Wow. That's how paranoid and how far dark I was. Uh, and then a few years, and then about, what was it? About six months later, uh, I think it was around that. I probably have the timelines a little bit long. Six, maybe eight months later, I was at a friend's house, a uh, mutual friend of my wife and I, and she had a friend there. My wife, I can't remember where my wife was. I think she was running an event or she was somewhere out of town. And I was there. Our mutual friend went off um, to bed with her with now husband uh, and the other friend was there. And we were just sitting there watching TV and just chilling out. And I found myself going, okay, cool. How can I crack onto this woman and actually go further? Wow. And that shocked me because both my parents cheated on each other. When my wife and I first got together, we always said, if we end up in a dark place relationship wise, we need to come to each other and break it off. So we don't kill our, you know, the, 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 what we've built. Um, and we said that this was from like the very, very beginning. And I remember going, who the, who are you, Chris? Who are you? Like, what are you doing? And so I left and I went home. And the next day I told my wife. I told her what, what had happened. Um, she got, obviously, as she would, you know, got grumpy about it and that. But then we kind of started working on stuff. And in that conversation, I said, I want a divorce. I'm done. I am over this. I just want to go. And because we have such a strong relationship, she was like, okay, that's fine. But just do one more se session, just do one session of counseling with us. Let's just give this another go. You owe me at least that. It's been, we've been together by this stage. It would have been 10 years. We've been dating or together. Uh, we've been married for 
four five years or something um and so yeah so we went and luckily thank the universe um we got an exceptionally good counselor and we both told our our bits and the counselor goes you guys have stuff going on but she's like chris you're burned out you're done like you just are done with everything i was like well yeah that's why i'm here And in my head, it went, you you know, we talked a little bit more and she's like, you have all these different things going on. And I was like, in my head, I was like, at least I don't have dementia, mm-hmm. memory loss, all the symptoms of burnout is memory loss, fatigue, not wanting to do anything, just literally hating everything as well. Um, and getting sick all the time as well is another one. So I was getting all this different stuff. And first thing that popped in my head is you don't like cops. You want one less on the road. That's why you want me to take a break. Yeah. She said nothing about that. She'd never said anything about whether she liked or disliked or didn't. It was, you know, whatever about cops. So that's how dark and paranoid I was and disconnected from everything. And so it's a, yeah. So there was a long journey after that. Um, we started to work on stuff. I knew that I wanted to, as soon as she kind of was like, there's something, you know, from all the trauma and everything that you've seen and dealt with and, you know, not having the tools to work through it, you have put yourself into this box. Uh, and she's like, but what's happened is actually you're just drained. She's like, Mm -hmm. you're so empty. You need to reset. You need to recharge. So we started to talk about how that happens. And by this stage, I was, I was comfortable with her. I trusted this counselor. Um, and so we started doing that. And then she's like, well, you need to take a bit of a, a break. Uh, can you take time off? Anything? I was, I was like, I would probably get leave without pay. Um, and so we talked about me maybe going and doing the whole super yacht thing again. And then I was like, but if I'm over there working, I'm just going to compartmentalize. And I'm just going to focus on the work of working as a super yacht. I was like, I've always wanted to ride a motorcycle around Europe. But I was like, that's not going to probably happen because I don't have the funds. And I was like, oh, my uncle's got a Harley in California. Maybe he'll let me borrow it. And I can just ride around the U.S. for a while and didn't know if I was coming back. So I started planning that. Uh, my wife didn't talk to me for two weeks because I told her I wanted to quit my job, go to the U.S., and I didn't know if I was coming back. Wow. <laughs> you kind of just threw the, everything at her. I there. threw everything out there. And... um Luckily, she's got some really good um, mentors and friends at work at the time. And one of them sat her down and was like, um, well, you've got two options. Either he goes anyways because he's going. He goes anyways and you piss him off and you're not supportive and he doesn't come back most likely. Or you get on board and supportive and hopefully he comes back. And so she did and so I did and I was, you know, she's like, but you're not, we're, we're setting a date. And so she, we set a date for, I think it was like two and a half, almost three months. Uh, and she's like, if you're not going to come back, you're going to come tell me in my face. You're not going to do it on a phone call. You're not going to do it on a text. Within about a week of being over there, two weeks of being over there, I knew I was coming back. I was like, no, this is, as soon as I started to get out of the atmosphere. Uh, and so, yeah, so I did that two and a half months, 8,000 us miles. Uh, I ended up not using my uncle's Harley because he pulled out a couple of weeks before I went over there. So I ended up having to borrow some money from my mom, bought a motorcycle, ended up selling the motorcycle for $700 less. So for two and a half months, I had a motorcycle. It cost me $700 <laughs> <laughs> and I did 8,000 miles on it. Uh, and so, yeah, so I went all the way from Northern California to Houston and back camping or staying with friends. And that was the start of my change. 
started my reflection. I learned a whole ton on that trip and met a whole ton of people. And the biggest thing from that that I did is I talked, which I hadn't done through my whole policing career. I literally, uh, if you go to one of my old um, Instagram accounts, it's uh, Chris C, uh, Chris C. Yates, I think it is, or something along those lines. I can't remember exactly what it is. It has my whole journey in it because I posted photos and stuff every single day, told my story, told my story to everybody, and it um, it started to free me because it stopped the demons, why my business is called Knocking Demon. It stopped them having control of my mind. It made me be able to listen to them, acknowledge them, and then make a choice what I wanted to do with it. It's interesting that you say that you're able to talk and even like posting about it. That's nowadays, that's a way of expressing thoughts, emotions in that way. And it kind of just, you needed that escape from, it almost sounds like getting away from New Zealand for those two months kind of helped also because new look, new adventure kind of kind of let you be on your own in a way. Yeah, it was new perspectives, I think, as well. It was just getting away. Like, I'm a huge nature person. I mean, I grew up in Northern California doing outdoor stuff. We were outside all the time on the boat. and all. So just getting out in that nature as well and just different scenery. Like, I remember, so my hometown of Redding uh, can be quite bad when it comes to, or it used to be quite bad for crime. I don't know how it is now. I honestly don't care. Um, but I remember <laughs> turning up there, and it was, what was it? It was April, so it was, you know, going into going into that kind of summer, the end of the end of winter is that um, kind of you know spring kind of time. And I remember driving around Reading and going, "Oh my God, this place is horrible." I remember calling my wife because I used to still, you know, I would would talk regularly, like at least once a week. And I remember calling her and going because I always wanted to move back to Reading. I was like, "There's no way I could move back here. This place is horrible. It's dark. It's nasty. There's crime everywhere, and that's all I could see." And then I did my motorcycle trip and I came back and granted it was summer. It was July by the time I got back to Reading. But I remember being back there and I, I could still see all the darkness and the crime and the, the homeless and that. But it was all bright. It was no longer had this shade of darkness to it. Now, I was still not in a, I was not where I am now at all. Mm-hmm. But I was, I was better, but I could then see the light and things again. And I think that's real important by getting it out there and talking about it. And, you know, I didn't tell people it in a way of poor me, poor me. I told people in it, hey, I'm, this is what happened because people see somebody on a motorcycle with a bright blue, you know, dry bag, duffel bag on the back, strapped to the back of it. And they go, oh, what are you up to? Yeah. And I'd be like, well, I'm a cop from New Zealand. I got PTSD. Uh, I am burned out and I'm just doing a soul searching trip. And they're like, oh, wow. Okay, cool. Awesome. Perfect. <laughs> well done but then people would open up to me they're like oh i get you man I, I you know five ten years ago whatever i was i went through this i had this going on blah 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 yep. so you and then they give you tools that give you skills that you know and so all of a sudden you're like hey wait a second i'm not going through this alone and so then things just started to get brighter and brighter and brighter and like i said i went back to, i got back to reading in july and i was like this place is awesome so this is the thing you know people ask me all the time they're like well what you know what's the what's the easiest way to see if i'm in this darkness and i was like well on a rainy day look outside what do you see yeah and i remember i used to see the darkness and everything my eyes would go straight to the darkness of the clouds and be like oh it's gloomy as nasty as rainy oh my god this is all horrible 
Now I look out there and I go, ooh, there's some light in there. Ooh, look at the texture of those clouds. Ooh, water is filling up the water tanks. <laughs> yeah. And so you start to, just by communicating things out, you start to get that out there. And yeah, and this started the journey of obviously where I am now because it's um, it's so important of all of it. Talk about creating your podcast. Uh, Fight the Burnout is the title, which it plays a big part in your life and your journey for fighting burnout. But what's the mission you're trying to share with listeners that have never heard your um, show before? What I'm trying to teach people is to that they're not one, they're not alone. And it's not teaching them. It's just bringing awareness to it. One, they're not alone. Uh, and two, just find one thing from what you're listening to it. You know, this episode now that we're that we're recording, what's the one thing that, you know, that you're taking away from this and just take action on it. Uh, this year, um, starting 2022, uh, I started just interviewing first responders, uh, law enforcement primarily, but law enforcement are first responders because I was like, well, we've got one of the most stressful jobs that nobody actually understands. Yep. <laughs> and so I was like, if I, if I can get people to talk about one, they talk about their journey on the podcast, so it helps them. But two, somebody's going to learn something from it because all these guys have gone through it, or even if they're going through it, they're learning stuff, the guys and girls. And so the whole podcast actually started initially because I was training people to get into the police, helping them instead of being the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff after somebody's fallen off it and you know hit rock bottom, is to give them the tools so that they never walk up the hill to fall off the cliff. So be the gatekeeper at the bottom of the hill. And so that's what I was doing for a long time. And I was like, I want to test this out. Let's see if other people are doing similar stuff to what I'm teaching these guys. And so that's what I did. So I interviewed anybody and everybody that would be on. I have had nurses. I have had CEOs of million-dollar companies. You know, people have done million dollars in that in their business. I have had people that literally are just, you know, they just work at a retail shop all through the episode. And so that was all up until the beginning of 2022. I would just interview anybody. So friends, family people that I'd meet just, I, I interviewed a guy who worked in, I think it's in Missouri actually. Uh, but he works in like a metal factory. Okay. Right. And we talked about stuff. I was like, because I'm like, everybody has their own experiences with stuff and you're willing to talk about it. Hey, let's help people. And so that's, that's, that's what the pod, how the podcast started. Uh, and now it's kind of just developed even more. And it's, uh, we have some deep conversations now around, especially law enforcement and that. Um, but it's all just, taking one thing away, you know, just to create that better version of ourselves. My mission, my mission statement that I help people create now is, you know, how am I helping myself and others not be in pain to create the best version of ourselves? And again, I reiterate, it starts with yourself. If you can't do it for yourself, you can't do it for anybody else. I love that line you keep mentioning, the, become the greatest version of yourself, because that's my fraternity's tagline. And that <laughs> is something that every single one of us, we're always trying to do that. And even today, I'm still always trying to become the best version of myself. And every time you mention, I'm like, did he like look this up? Like, how does he know this tagline? But when you are saying it's like, okay, people are using it and coming from two different backgrounds. Um and our and even our shows are similar in a way because we're both sharing stories with our guests and sharing our stories that we have but 
I always try to tell my listeners and my listeners do the same thing. They always take one thing from any episode. They may not be going through the same thing, but they're able to take it and adapt it to what they're doing in their life or try to learn something that can help them in their life. So I love that you mentioned that because I always make that a mission. Even as a host, I always try to take one thing from my guests each interview, no matter their story. I try to learn. Yeah, no, and that's the that's the biggest thing. You know, I live by three things now, and it's taken me you know a long time, and I'm still evolving and still still growing on it all. And I went through some stuff last the end, towards the end of last year, and I found myself uh, actually I went for a motorcycle ride down to see a friend, and then I was going from his house to go you know just do day rides and that. And I remember going through these hard, twisty roads and stuff on on my bike, and I go, and I was, all of a sudden it felt like somebody slapped me in the face with like a you know a, a lead glove. Ooh. I was like, like not not phys- not not actually physically, oh. but internal internally wise, I was like, "What are you doing, Chris? You're seeking the thrill again." And I always say, if I'm seeking the thrill, something's not right in my life. Something's not balanced. And so then I I literally. I, I caught myself and I was like, okay, cool. Let's calm down a little bit, Chris. And I was like, okay. And I started just asking myself, and this is why the, the one of the branches of my business is called create from why. And I just started asking myself, why, why are you seeking the thrill? And what I uncovered was, is that I was unhappy in what I was doing because I'd gone into a different job. I you know, decided to diverge from my personal business into doing some financial advising work. And I was like, I'm not enjoying it. It's not lighting my purpose and my why up completely. The end result does, but the doing doesn't. What are you doing? And so I started to reflect on that. And I also, I was like, I'm not doing all the things that I know I should be. I'm not training regularly. I'm not eating healthy. I'm not, I've let the externals of the world start to collapse in on me again. And obviously it was just like, it was like hitting the surface kind of collapsing side of things. But I recognized what was going on and I was like, Okay, I need to make a difference. And so I started to live by three things, which I was already kind of doing, but I've really just gone, not this is all it is. So first, it's it's always making sure that you're in a good state, starting with a good state. And, you know, I can't take ownership for that, but it, we all kind of do a different version of it. I learned it hardcore from Tony Robbins at one of the events that I went to. And it's all about state. So your focus, your language, your physiology, uh, and then also the looking after you, which is this, is this part I created. So the base of the pyramid is look after you. The middle is look after your relationship, then your kids, then close family and friends, the people that you classify as family, it could be blood or not, and then it's work and everybody else. So that's literally my state side. Then in the middle is knowing your why, knowing your purpose. You know, people talk about purpose all the time, but what I've found is not a lot of people actually dig deep enough into their personal, into their mm-hmm. purpose. My purpose is to create less pain for myself and others so that we create the best version of ourselves. It's my mission statement and it hits, it then tells me, it then reminds me of all the levels of my purpose and my why. Then the final thing is continual growth. Always growing, learning from somebody, you know, having a conversation here with you, I'll learn, I'm learning stuff back about myself because I'm talking about it again. Um, You know, listening to different things, having interactions with different people, hearing their different perspectives and always taking away and just learning something. And so when you live from those three things and you have that continual thing, you're, you're always making that better version of yourself because how can you not? Yep. <laughs> even if you're in just, even if you just take state and you just change your state, you're all of a sudden right, right away creating a different version of yourself. If you know your purpose and you know your why and you focus on it, you're going to change, you're going to, you're going to become a better version of yourself because you're going to help yourself and you're going to help somebody else. 
Yeah. And then when you you grow, shit, you're always creating a better version of yourself. <laughs> So we first connected through LinkedIn. And if someone's following your LinkedIn, you've definitely been on a fitness journey. And are you trying to be fitness, fit where you're mentally clear, feel good, things like that? Are you trying to go back to where you were in the police force stage of your fitness? What is your main goal when it comes to that fitness journey you are on? So me training at the moment. um, So I'll rewind a little bit. I was actually talking to, who was I talking to about this just recently? I was talking to somebody about this recently. I, maybe it was my wife. Uh, and I was talking to her about, you know, it's interesting. No, it was on another podcast that I was on. Uh, we were talking about this. Fitness used to be an escape for me. Mm-hmm. So I used to go do fitness to run away as such. Uh, to release the demons, as I call them. Uh, to get them out of my head. To calm myself. To just... Uh, you know, I used to say I'll lift angry and I'd go punch the punching bag and I'd just hit it as hard as I can because that was releasing anger. That was because I was in a not good state. Um, then there was one time I went to the gym and I was like, oh, I'm going to do some boxing. And I didn't go, oh, I'm going to do some boxing to release things. I was like, I'm just going to go do some boxing to do boxing. I remember going and putting gloves on. And I was hitting the bag and I was like, this feels different. Why is this different? I was like, wait a second, I'm not hitting it because I'm angry. I'm hitting it because I'm enjoying it. So mm-hmm. me now with my fitness, um, you know, again, as I said before, the beginning of the year, I kind of changed things and that. And and I, I saw a photo of myself. I helped deliver my mom's boat down here. And I saw a photo of myself, which was a very bad photo in the grand scheme. <laughs> Anyways, it was taken really crap. Um, but as me walking past the um, – past the uh, – the the um the mast and holding on to the shroud and going around it and you can see my gut and I had already been telling myself fuck oh, Chris you you know you've drank you're you're drinking too much you got you know got this kind of stuff and I was like and you're eating not really healthy you don't really care so much <laughs> and right around that same time my wife goes what's wrong and I go no nothing's wrong and she's like bullshit I know you <laughs> and I was like I was like I don't know what you're talking about she's like Chris you just went into the pantry at ten o'clock at night and ate pretzels. <laughs> what's wrong i was like okay you got me there um and i was like you know and i kind of told her kind of i was just like i don't know i just don't feel like i'm 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 driven i'm not driving hard at anything at the moment and so at that point i went okay cool chris what do you want again why do you why are you doing this why are you here and i was like are you creating and this is where the mission statement comes into every area of your life i started to ask myself seriously chris are you in pain and i was like yeah, maybe I am a little bit. Not in a painful way of how I've ever been in the past, but painful compared to where I've gotten to as well. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. I was like, Chris, well, what are you going to do about it? How are you going to create a better version of yourself? That's why it's so important to have a mission statement that you can question and bounce things on because it's yours. It's nobody else's. Nobody's put it on you. Nobody said, Chris, you need to be this fitness crazy person like I used to be. Yep. I used to put that on me. I have to be this person because of X, Y, and Z. And so I literally, that's what I did. And so my, my thing now is just to, again, live from my mission statement, live from my purpose, live from my why. And so with me, with my fitness journey right now is I'm going, I'm coming back to the States actually in July uh, and going to Hawaii. And I'm like, July, shit, it's summer. There's going to be lakes. <laughs> there's going to be boats. There's going to be surfing. Okay, let's get fit. And so I went from, I've dropped, what am I dropped? 15 pounds, I think it is, since January already. 
and I plan on probably I'll drop a little bit more, but I don't really care about the scale. It's more about how I look and the leanness. And so I want to get back to that lean. And you probably saw my fo- my post on, on, on LinkedIn showing different stages of different things. And it shows a photo of me. And actually the photo of me where I was my leanest was I was on diplomatic protection. I was actually in one of my darkest states. And if you actually zoom in, and even in the caption I talk about, if you zoom into my eyes, there's happiness there because I'm on holiday, but there's also emptiness. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, one, I want to get back to that leanness because why not? Just another (laughs) challenge. But it's all, it's all about just because I want to challenge myself and I want to live in that happy state. So I go to the gym now, I train, I run, I've been running since the beginning of the year again, being back into it three times a week, just because it's enjoyable yep you know uh, that's a long answer for what she asked but <laughs> it's it's all about that enjoyment and if you're not training because you enjoy it ask yourself why again it comes back to that whole motorcycle thing where i was seeking the thrill if you're seeking something from what you're doing and there's no pull in it you're having to push to do it then you're probably doing it for the wrong reasons that's so been, I train, yeah. I train now because I love it. Like literally, I love it. I can be training for absolutely nothing, and I still go and train because I love it. I also know the importance of it for my mental health, for my fitness, and that, uh, and just in my body. But if I actually take, I'll rewind just for a second. Last thing I'll say on this uh, is when I went back at the beginning of the year and I started running. I went for my first half hour run. I think it was actually twenty minutes. And I ran at a, uh, I'm going to say this in kilometers because I know what it is on my watch. I don't know what it is in miles. But I ran a six-minute kilometer pace for um, for like 20, 25 minutes. My very first run. Now everybody's like, oh, that's really good, blah, blah, blah. I was like, that's absolutely horrid for me. My best is like four-minute kilometer pace for like over a half hour, 40 minutes. I ran a half marathon in two hours. Wow. So I'm like, this is horrible for me. But yet, if you compare it to somebody else, it looks absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. So really make sure that what you're doing is for you and you're only focusing on you on it. Because if you're focusing on it for somebody else or for some other reason, it's not going to keep you going. You're going to fall off of it. You're going to burn out in it. Because if it's not for you, then there's no drive or purpose behind it. Well, talking about burnout, I, I've been on a fitness journey and I did it two years ago, I was on track doing it. And I just lost the passion for it. I'm like, I just don't want to do this anymore. Like, I want to go back to enjoying whatever I want. But then after a while, I'm like, I need to do this. Like, there's a reason why I need to do this. And it's for me only. Social media nowadays is so bad, because everyone's posting certain photos. And they're like, Oh, I want to look like that. Yeah, I say that. But I know that it's just because I'm saying it. It's not like I really am going to try to do anything to look like that. That would be like going in extreme measures. But since last April, I've lost 50 pounds. And thank you. Well done, man. And I'm a diabetic. So I'm like my numbers and stuff. And I have diabetics on the show. And we talk about these things because it, it, you, focus on something you're going to focus even harder on other things also and it's just mentally i feel better than ever 
And I even did my own. I did an episode where I was the guest and I talk about that. And it's just like, it's rewarding. And so when I see people posting it, I'm like, it's just inspiration to continue to do it and not giving up. And my words rise to the challenge. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I use fitness all the time and, you know, I'm, I'm very much known as the, the here in New Zealand, the, the police fitness person, which I'm like, I don't really want to be known. (laughs) But again, it's the same, it's the thing. Like so many people, they're like, oh, you're so inspirational. And I hear from all these people that are like, oh, you know, you helped me get into the place. I was like, I have no clue who you are. And they're like, they're like, they're like, just by your posting and you, you know, you motivated, you drove me. I was like, perfect. I was like, now come do my program so that you can get the mindset side of stuff so you can be the best cop as well. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, but it's like, but, but it is, it's fitness. You know, you said about the Instagram, the Instagram posts and that, and we see the highlight reel of people's lives. Yeah. I did that post on LinkedIn, on Instagram, also on Facebook, um, on all of it. Well, you know, all my social media things. I did that post on it and I put the, and I, I did this on purpose. I put the photo of me lean and ripped where you could see my abs. Only time in my life I've ever had, like, you could actually see my, like actually see my abs in that. And I wasn't flexing and everybody's like, oh, you're looking. And then I put a photo of me when I was my biggest and like my beefiest. And then I put a photo of me, like my past and, and that as well. Like at the beginning of the year, and everybody commented on they're like, "Oh, you're looking so good," blah blah. I was like, "That's not me now. That's me in 2016." Mm-hmm. I'm like, "That's not me. That is who I. That's where I'm inspiring to get back to, but actually yep. bigger because I have more muscle." But it's so funny how people instantly go to that. They instantly go to, "Oh, you're looking so good." When I'm like, oh, "That's not me." Yeah, that was like months ago. <laughs> that was that was years ago. Years like. ago. It was only and ten then, years ago for me. Yeah, it's yeah, only, you know, and I'm like, I'm like, and then the other photo that I ha- that I do that I've posted it sometimes is is me when I actually was out of the place. I was still lifting, angry and that, but I was I was powerlifting, and I'm just like, you know, I'm a hundred. I'm what was I like a two hundred and forty pounds, but just solid solid muscle. Still had fat on me and that. But I'm, I'm huge. And so people will be like, oh, you know, you're you're looking so good. I was like, that was me like three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, and, and so it is. It's so funny because that's what people people want to see. You talked about the focus side of things. Where we focus, energy flows. Yep. So if you're focused on, again, we talk about the, 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 the rain clouds that we talked about before. If you're focused on the darkness and the negativity of rain, that's all you're going to see in your life. I have people go through an exercise where they close their eyes and I ask them, what do you see? I'm like, well, darkness. I'm like, well, okay, hang on just a second. I want you to close your eyes and really just let yourself sit there for a second. And what do you see? Some people will say, oh, I see that starriness kind of thing. I was like, perfect, cool. You're, you're, you're doing pretty well. But a lot of people will be like, oh, I just see darkness. I'm like, well, okay, now what I want you to do is I want you to shift that a little bit. And I want you to look for some lightness and look for some brightness. And be like, oh, I can actually see that kind of pinkiness kind of thing because the sun's shining in through my eyelids. I was like, there you go. Now you can see some lightness, can't you? It's the exact same thing in life. When we look around, what do you see? What are you focused on? You know, as law enforcement, are you focused on the fact of the things that you have no control over? Are you focused on the things that you do have control over and what your actual job is and why you're actually there in the first place? Yeah. Most people can't articulate that. And that's why, that's what I help people do is create that mission statement so that they can articulate 
why they do everything they do. And then they can actually make conscious and well-informed decisions on whether that thing is still, still meets it or not. The final, the final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? Focus on what you have control of. The number one thing is focus on what you have control of because otherwise you'll burn yourself out and you have no control over it. Yep. You know? And when you focus on what you have control over, then you're going to create outcomes. And when you create outcomes, you're going to feel successful. And when you feel successful, you'll feel happy. So it's a very surface level thing. There's obviously things that help create that so that you continually look at it. Uh, but that would be my thing is just look for, you know, focus on what you have control of. You know, so many people that I talk to in jobs and that or careers or their own business, they're like, Oh, but this is happening and this is happening and that is happening and this is happening and that person did this and that person's doing this and that. I'm like, okay, well, which one of those do you have control of? Mm-hmm. Oh, but this and that. Well, I'm like, no, 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 not the buts. What do you have control of? And they're like, well, I have control of my own actions. Okay, cool. Well, what are you doing? And then, you, then from there, you can build on it. Okay, cool. Well, maybe it is that you need to give that person a little bit or you need to talk to that person. Yeah. <laughs> because you have control over your interaction with that person and how you interact with them. And that takes coaching sometimes to figure that out. But hey, you know, but just focus on what you have control over. Because if you don't have control over it, it's like the weather. You have no control over it. Over it so don't focus on the, <laughs> don't focus on what is what you don't like about it because it's not going to (laughs) help it's just going to drain you and and destroy you well chris i want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge you're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you thank you very much Alex. i appreciate for you know you having me on and um yeah, I hope uh, I, I know that, uh, you know, you, listeners and that will we'll have gotten one thing out of this. Um, and yeah, more than happy to help out. Reach out to me at any time. People, it's, you know, I'm, I'm always here to help create that better version because that's what it's all about. Um, and um, yeah, thanks for doing what you're doing. It's good to get those stories out there, how people are rising up, uh, because especially in these times, I think. We definitely need it. There's a lot of people out there that are doing it and just getting that vocalized out there helps those that um, feel like maybe they can't rise up um, because it's not that you can't rise up. It's not that you're in a bad place. It's just that you are where you are uh, and you got to make a choice on what you want to do with it. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to the full-length episode and video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You like to die.